0: Ben Jarofsky show for this Thursday, July twentieth, starts now. On today's show, Ben welcomes back litigator, legal educator, and the just us junkie herself, April Prayer. The Ben Jarofsky show is brought to you in part by SEIU Healthcare Illinois Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader chicagoreader.com for everything there is to know in the city of Chicago. The who, the what, the where, the when, the why, it's all there. And if you want more from Ben Jarofsky, just head to chicagoreader.com forward slash Jarofsky. I'll spell that out for you. J-O-R-A V is in victory S-K-Y
1: Hello again, everybody. Ben here. we're calling this the mayor makes his move Thursday. And here's why. Because yesterday, Wednesday at the Chicago City Council meeting, while I was on the on the mic recording another show. Yes, hard at work. It's all I do. Talk, talk, talk. While I was talk, talk, talking with a different guest. Not my distinguished guest that I have waiting to talk to me today. Yes, the great April Prayer is with us again today, ladies and gentlemen. Very popular with our listeners. But while I was talking to Monroe, that's who it was yesterday. The city council was hard at work on all kinds of initiatives. So I'm going to give a shout out to uh, Mayor Brandon Johnson, who uh, I was a little hard on him last week for his Mayor Rom picture. But when I think he does well, I give him a shout out. I thought he did well yesterday, introducing a whole of initiatives like this is why lefties voted for him progressives voted, whatever you call yourself but here's what i found interesting i have this debate with april uh eventually on the show Uh, it was the reaction when i appreciated the reaction to the opposition he faced follow me in this and i follow me where i'm going this ladies and gentlemen so Again, I am not from Chicago, as I like to point out, but I've lived here for so long. I've kind of come to understand the Chicago mentality and the Chicago mentality is if you punch me, I punch you back twice. That's Chicago. It's a retaliatory culture embedded in the city. The city loves and reveres gangsters. Just think about that for a moment, folks. Our biggest heroes are gangsters across the board. And we wonder why violence is so high in this city. Like, you know, uh, so if there's something going wrong in the police department and somebody blows the whistle, they call him a snitch. (laughs) Danny Solis wears a wire, collects information on Ed Burke that blows open all the corruption in the city of Chicago. And the city council is mad at Danny Solis and they give Ed Burke a standing ovation. We are a city of gangsters, whether we realize it or not. We love we adore gangsters. All right. And so our mayors over since since the great Harold Washington left us, our mayors, with the exception, I'll give Gene Sawyer a pass, but Daly and Rahm and. Lori Lightfoot, to a degree, had that tough guy mentality. They wanted to be the toughest person in the room. They wanted to crush the opposition. You get into a fight with me, you're going to pay for it, pal, because I'm tough. I'm from Chicago. Even in the case of Rom, you weren't from Chicago. Or for that matter, Lori Lightfoot's not from Chicago. We didn't ever notice how the people who are at the toughest, are the people are compensating for the fact that they're not from Chicago? I'm tough. I grew up on the West Side. No, he didn't. <laughs> You know how many people told me they've grown up in the west and the south sides and never even grew up in the west? I don't even think they've been to the west and the south sides. I'm tough, Ben. In high school, you should have seen how tough I was. Anyway, everybody wants to be tough in Chicago. Yesterday, Chicago City Council meeting, there was a vote. Uh, And the vote had to do with a matter of a police settlement. I'm going to get into it with April in a little while, uh, get her thoughts on the settlement. We may not see eye to eye on this. It'll be interesting. Uh, But the city council was being asked to whether or approve, I think it was like a $2 million settlement. I'm doing this off the top of my head and I can't find it. Yeah, $2 million settlement tied to the 2014 uh, police shooting that killed Darius Cole Garrett. All right. Uh, And uh, in this shooting, Uh, the police alleged that um, uh, Darius Cole Garrett pulled a gun and so that the police officer shot himself to defend himself. And clearly, the alderman and the city council did not want to be on the end of a vote approving money to the family of a man who had allegedly pulled a gun on the police officers. And so the settlement offer lost. 26 to 22 was the vote. Interesting coalition, too, I might add. I mean, you had, like, you go, well, Ben, the law and order types on the northwest and southwest side. Yeah, they were there. And then you have the law and order types uh, from the downtown uh, business community. Yeah, they were there. And then you have that, the law and order types from the north side lakefront. Yeah, they were there. But then there was a significant number of black aldermen. Walter Burnett, Chris Taliaferro. I'm doing this off the top of my hand. Jason Irvin, Gregory Mitchell, Derek Curtis. Anthony Beal, pretty good. I just rattled it out. I do not have it in front of me. Ladies and gentlemen, the brain is still working. They voted for it too. So it's an interesting combination of aldermen who voted against this. And so what this does is have the practical effect of sending the matter back to trial. No settlement. So back to the court, I should say. So there could be a trial. There could be another settlement offer. I have no idea what's going to happen next. But instead of wrapping this up, it continues. And I'm sure the lawyer advised the alderman that if you send this back to court, you can have a bigger payout down the road if a jury rules against the city of Chicago, if it goes to court. So think of this as a fiduciary move, a $2 million settlement instead of, I don't know, what, 10000000 million? I'm making this up, making numbers up. So think of yourself as a fiduciary. Looking out for the best interest of Chicago taxpayers, having nothing to do with justice, having nothing to do with who's right or wrong in the shooting, having nothing to do with the interaction between police and residents in the city of Chicago, just a matter of money. In our opinion, in our legal opinion, it's the best deal you're going to get for the taxpayers. it could be worse. Take the deal. And they said, no, We don't want to be associated with that deal. twenty six to twenty two, so now it goes back. Now, in my opinion, that happened under Rom, Lori Lightfoot, or Daly, as unbelievable as it is to imagine such a vote, maybe under Lightfoot in the last year or so, but definitely not under Rom and Daly. Rom or Daly would have been outraged. You know, some spokesperson for them, if not them alone, would have denounced the Alderman. No, Daly would have denounced the alderman. Yeah, you know how I used to get all red in the face? remember daily you're, you're all but you loved it Chicago yeah the mayor is emotional <laughs> how come when I get emotional I go off people say oh Ben it's another rant but when Daly does it he goes he loves Chicago oh you're so weird Chicago anyway they'd have gone nuts how dare they and it's like this ego thing like when you're the all powerful mayor of the city of Chicago you can't tolerate An independent-minded Chicago City Council? No! To show your power, to show you're in charge, to show you the kind of leader that Chicagoans would elect and expect from someone in the fifth floor. You would have that rubber stamp. But Mayor Johnson's quote-unquote lost this, even though I don't think he really twisted any arms to get it. Uh, And in the aftermath, uh, the corporation council, Mary Richardson Lowry, who used to work for Daly way back when, uh called the rare rejection quote democracy in action adding quote it's not necessarily a bad thing to have a discussion about something as important as settlements april prayer i almost fell over when i saw that quote that is <laughs> she must not be from chicago <laughs> i have no idea where she's from but that is i think that's a healthy stance to have you lost the vote it's not the end of the world doesn't mean the Sears Tower is going to jump in the Lake Michigan, the city's going to fall apart, because we don't have Mussolini running it. OK? We have a democracy. The city council has the right not to support the mayor. I may disagree with the city council. I may disagree with the mayor on a particular issue, but one does not have to obey what the other does. It's called democracy. This is going to be a very interesting experiment for the city. People aren't used to democracy. They kind of love tyranny. So we'll see where this is going. So, anyway, shout out to uh, Mary Richardson Lowry. I thought that was a very diplomatic response uh, to that vote. Without further ado, I'm going to bring on the distinguished criminal defense uh, attorney, April Prayer, dear friend of the show. Welcome back, April.
2: Hello. Thank you for having me on again.
1: Yes. It's always a blast. By the way, you should see her little tag. It says April prayer. And then in parentheses, the just us junkie, <laughs> just us as in J-U-S-T-U-S. Yes. Uh, and then I pointed out, she stole that joke from Richard Pryor. She said, no, Ben, I came <laughs> up with that joke on my own. It had nothing to do with Richard Pryor. Okay. Uh, April, I really want to get your take on the cash bail. That's why I reached out to you. I've had a couple conversations already with people. Uh, including you a brief one. And what you said blew my mind. I hadn't thought about things the way you put them. And I was just talking to a guy uh, on the front steps of my porch about it. I go, let me run this by you. <laughs> Some guy, stranger. And I gave him the April prayer vision of it. He goes, dude, I didn't even think of that. Wow. So we'll get to that. Ladies and gentlemen, you got to hear April's take. On what went down uh, with yesterday, well, uh, what's the uh, ramifications of the ruling uh, of the Supreme Court? But I got to get your take on my opening ref. I say it's a good first step for democracy, small d, that the city council did not ratify that settlement. Uh, And I thought Mary Richardson-Lowry handled it well. Do you agree with me or do you vehemently disagree? No.
2: I vehemently disagree because a part of democracy is recognizing that there are three branches of government and allowing each to do their job. And so in this instance, the judiciary did its job. What most people don't realize is before you get to the point of settlement. So those cases are filed in federal court. Um, And the judges are oftentimes involved in that process. They're nudging you to, okay, are you too close? Are you close to a number? Are we going to trial? And they'll even facilitate a settlement conference with the parties, not just with the attorneys, with the parties who are involved, with the injured person, the plaintiff, with the defendants who are accused of these actions and everybody will kind of hash it out. And so for these arrogant aldermen, to think that they have a better understanding, a better handle on the case that these attorneys, that this judge and that these parties haven't been engaged in for years is really insulting. And so for them to vote down a settlement agreement that the parties, that the attorneys, that likely the judge chimed in on is quite ridiculous because it hamstringed everybody. And so like you said, it sends everybody back to the drawing board, but to do what? If we were at the settlement table, that means nobody wants to go to trial. So now are you forcing us to go to trial? Either side, maybe maybe the defense didn't want to go to trial. Maybe these cops didn't want to go to trial. Maybe the city of Chicago didn't want to go to trial. But because of the alderman and their so-called infinite wisdom shot down the settlement, now we're all sitting around that table again looking at each other. So what are we going to do? We're going to trial. We're going to waste millions of taxpayer dollars now. Hashing this out at trial, are we going to spend millions more uh, going back over emails and telephone calls, trying to come to a lower number that nobody really wants to agree to because we had agreed on a higher number? It's really ridiculous that these aldermen think that they understand this case better than the players do. All
1: right. So um, when you make the analysis that you just made, are you making it from... Uh, A fiduciary standpoint, looking out for the taxpayers for the lowest payout, or are you looking at it from uh, a a moral criminal justice viewpoint uh, in uh, helping out a family whose uh, son was murdered?
2: It's a little bit of both. It's really just about judicial economy. And so that's a term that gets thrown around in courts all the time. It's just a matter of efficiency. It's really silly. If everybody has already said we agree on this number, we know this case the best. And then the other thing is the aldermen haven't heard from the plaintiff. The plaintiff came into the likely there was a settlement conference where the plaintiff came and talked to the judge, where the defendants came and talked to the judge and the Alderman haven't been privy to any of these conversations. So it's just, it's just silly. It's a complete waste of money. Um, I think it's an example of how democracy does not always work, as opposed to what the quote said about this is, in, this is evidence of democracy.
1: What she said was, and I'll repeat, democracy, this is democracy in action. It's not necessarily a bad thing to have a discussion about something as important as settlements. And I really don't care what April Prayer said. Whoa,
2: my God. (laughs) She's probably frustrated, too. That's just the politically correct thing to say. She's frustrated because her case was going to be done with a case. I mean, her office was going to be done with a case. And now they're stuck with it because these aldermen decided that, nope, we're not going to get rid of it.
1: Yeah. Well, I I um, uh, I um struggle with this because, as I told you before we went on air, I very much, uh, I remember when the Laquan settlement uh agreement went down. It was very similar. It was a sh- uh, city council meeting, and a corporation council made a presentation. Mayor Ron was the mayor. This would have been in roughly uh, February or so of 2015, a few months after uh, Laquan McDonald. Uh, was murdered. And what we, the public, did not know at the time, and what I think most aldermen did not know at the time, was that there was a video showing uh, that Laquan McDonald uh, was in fact murdered, and that, uh, that what happened on that street in October of 2014 uh, contradicted what the city's official position was on that matter. Uh, and so nobody knew that. And the corporation council essentially said, I know this case better than you do. Trust me. If this goes to trial, the payout will be greater. So just approve the $5 million. And then fast forward nine months later, when the city came face to face with the evidence that had been buried uh, by Rahm and his administration, there was an outcry. How could the alderman approve that settlement? And the question I asked at the time is, well, what do you want the alderman to be? Do you want them to be mini corporation councils? Quarterbacking over every single case and uh, trying to do, quote, unquote, what's the right thing for, in this case, Laquan McDonald's family? Or do you want them to be shrewd fiduciary overseers of the tax dollars money, the taxpayers money, and just voting for the lowest possible payout on the advice of the, their lawyer? So that, to me, is the dilemma that they face. Do you agree with that?
2: No, because I think that if they were truly shrewd overseers of taxpayers' money, that they would look at this from a different angle. How about you get rid of some of these dirty cops that are the cause of multiple million dollar, multi million dollar lawsuits getting filed over and, over and over and over and over and over again? And I believe the officer who I read the article you sent, that the officer involved in that was supposed to get a 45-day suspension. It was extended to 135-day suspension. And guess what? He served zero days of either suspension. How about the alderman actually cracked down on that instead of doing things like oh we're approving a 90 million dollar police academy oh we're going to shoot down this settlement that all the parties involved agree upon how about they use those take that same energy keep that same energy as they say in the streets and use it in the proper place to shut down and actually correct the system not when there's an injured party who's truly in need of these funds say, oh, no, we don't think that you really deserve the amount that your lawyer and opposing counsel has agreed on giving you. Mm -hmm.
1: Uh, And so what you uh, just said is a perfect uh, segue into what we're going to discuss next, because uh, the kind of compassion that you uh, were we're hoping to see from uh, Alderman is in short supply these days uh and um, because we are in the we're in the middle of a backlash uh and you've personal experience dealing with people we will get in all this uh who don't care about uh the the uh the defendants don't care about people who are arrested, are very upset about crime in the city of Chicago, and want to send a message that Chicago was tough on crime uh so I understand exactly what you say right now. The city council is not feeling that way. If you get what I'm saying? Like right now there's 26 law and order types in the Chicago city council. And again, they're from all parts of the city. I think that's where we're at. Go ahead.
2: But, but you gotta be tough on crime. Are we also going to be tough on crime when the criminals are the cops? Or are we just going to turn the blind out of that? We're just going to continue to let them work on the force. Because if you look at most of these settlement agreements and most of the cases that are filed in federal court, these are repeat offenders. So if they were defendants, criminal defendants, they would, this would be recidivism. (laughs) But when it's dirty cops who never get punished, never get their badges taken away, continue to get paid to do the same dirty deeds, we turn a blind eye and write a check. So I'm just like, I don't think you can have it both ways. You can't be tough on crime and let the police officers allegedly have sex with migrant teenagers in the police station. You can't have them allegedly shake down drug dealers, take their guns and money so that they can use them for their own purposes and then cry foul when they all get busted. You can't have it both ways. There are constant CPD scandals. They come out weekly, the FBI, the the DOJ has all set up red flags saying, oh my God, CPD is one of the most corrupt Police departments in the nation, and then we have aldermen who are absolutely freaking clueless, who <laughs> vote down, who vote down settlement agreements when someone is truly injured. It's it, you just can't have it both ways. So keep that same energy and go after these dirty cops. Don't come over here and shut down somebody who was actually injured by a dirty cop and defend the boys in blue.
1: All right, fair enough. We will now move on to topic two. I always let I always let my guests have the final say. That's what I give them for getting them to come on the show. You get the final say. Uh, first person I thought of was you uh, when the Supremes, the, the Illinois Supremes, made their ruling saying that the no cash uh, bail law was constitutional and that uh, no cash uh, will be uh, the the law of the land. I think they're. By September of this year, uh, April, again, off the top of my head, always a dangerous thing. But sometime later this year, uh, it'll be instituted. And, folks, I urge you to go check out some of the earlier uh, conversations I had with April where we talked about this. Uh, She came. uh, She did a first Tuesday show to talk about this with State Senator Robert Peters. So we've had this conversation for a long time. Um, And. Generally, uh, liberal Democrats, progressive Democrats, whatever they're called, uh, were jubilant at the Supreme Court uh, decision uh, upholding the law. And uh, Republicans, MAGA people, were outraged, uh, which was a repeat of the kind of discourse that was occurring in 2022 when the matter was passed originally uh, and uh, became a big public issue. And it was an issue in the campaign against Pritzker. April, you blew my mind. You had a different take on it uh, this morning when I talked to you. So the floor is yours to explain to people your view of this, the new law. Go ahead.
2: So I, I, it's not just my view. I think this is the view. If you talk to most criminal defense attorneys, they would understand. because so we just have a different understanding of the criminal justice system. So this is, yes, a historic win. Illinois will be the first state in the nation to have a comprehensive, no-cash-bill system. It is epic if you are charged with a nonviolent offense, if you are charged with a misdemeanor, if you are charged with a nonviolent drug offense, if you are charged with, you know, I don't know, even trying to steal a car, All of those offenses, you will get a ticket, you will get a court date, you will be trusted, you will be on an honor system to show up to court. And that is a huge win because we had people sitting in county jail for months because they could not post a $100 bond, literally. This is not an exaggeration. I've seen this for decades. Who could not post $100. All their family members could not collectively post $100. And they're sitting there because they stole toothpaste from Walgreens. This is epic for all of those people, because studies have shown that regardless of how much the bail is or how little it is, people show up to court. Why? Because they want this phase of their life over. They want to get it over with. And those who sit in jail, even for two days, are likely to lose their jobs, likely to lose, therefore lose their housing because they can't pay for their housing and have extremely detrimental effects on their family. That is undisputed. However, and this is what I have been very vocal about and it's fallen on deaf ears. I have talked directly to legislators and they still have not rectified the problem. The problem is those who are charged with quote and I'm using air quotes, violent offenses. So say you have the 15 year old knucklehead who robbed somebody at gunpoint. There ain't a bullet in the gun, but he robbed somebody at gunpoint He gets away with $20. No one is shot. No one is injured. No one is hurt. He gets caught two blocks later. Now, when he goes into court, rather than having his parents be able to bond him out, rather than have his entire congregation, I've seen all this, have his congregation each put up $20 and bond him out, rather than having the support of his network and his family around him that person, whether he's 15, 25, 35, 45, will now be held indefinitely. So people who are charged with offenses that last week would have been able to scrape together whatever resources they have to be able to bond out for those with means, would have been able to bond out, now will be held indefinitely. And I I purposely Fortunately today, I was able to actually see, let me see if I can pull it up. Yeah, I was actually able to see one of these petitions. So what's going to happen is anybody charged with a quote, and I, again, air quotes, you could rob somebody with a pipe, you could hold up a stick, you could threaten them with the fake gun in your pocket that isn't there, it's your fingers instead. And now the state will file what's called a petition for a hearing on denial of bail then it has pursuant to which provision of the constitution. And what they're saying is you are real. You pose a real and present threat to the physical safety of any person. And therefore you should be held in the county jail indefinitely. So that is the huge, and I know that nobody's advocating for so-called people Mm -hmm. in this position, so-called violent offenders, but defense attorneys, but what happens to the kid who didn't do it? So I always tell the story. I had a client. He had had six attorneys before me. The crime was on video. So I was prepared when I met him. I had watched the video. I was prepared to go to jail. Hey, kid, you're gonna have to plead guilty. It is what it is. The gig is up. He comes to the door of the the conference room at the jail. Maybe he's 20 feet away from me. I scream, oh my God, it's not you. I could tell by looking at his face that that was not the same face that I had just seen on the video. When I met him, he had already been sitting in county jail for 18 months. I win his case. He's been in jail two years. It took him another two years just to get back on his feet because he was so devastated, so shell-shocked from sitting in jail for two years for something he didn't do. So my question is, what happens to that kid? He was like 24, 25 at the time. What happens to him? He had family support. They didn't have the means to bond him out. But maybe his bond had been lower, they would have been able to get him out. But what happens to him? Because now he will not have the option to be on the outside. Remember, at a bond hearing, the judge is just hearing the bare bones. He's not hearing testimony from anybody. He doesn't know if you did it or you didn't do it. He just sees the charge and says, Lock him up. That's a problem. And I have appealed directly to legislators about this. I sat on a panel for the Illinois Black Legislative Caucus. I don't know six months ago or so. And there were legislators in the room. It was their conference. And I brought it up then saying, this needs to be something that you go back and examine. This needs to be something that you dig into. And what I was told was, oh, they had a gun. They need to go, quote, sit their ass down. That was the quote of the senator who I was talking to. Yeah.
1: So I have an answer to the question that you posed, which is the political answer to the question you posed. And I will reveal that. Uh, And the answer you you pose is what happens to the innocent defendant uh, who is uh, locked away on charges because what he's been charged with or what she's been charged with is so outrageous uh, that uh, the judge feels compelled to lock him or her away. Uh, If for no other reason April, then that judge does not want to risk the possibility that this particular defendant go out and commit another crime once he or she is released. And then everyone will blame the judge. And, you know, that would happen. It would be like Judge Jones let out uh, Billy Bob and Billy Bob robbed somebody. So that's on you, Judge Jones. And then there'll be commercials from MAGA denouncing uh, Judge or whoever is running, like the MAGA Democrat types, you know, Judge Jones, let him out. And you know how they do that. So, uh, so, yeah, this is a real possibility that I hadn't thought of until I had the conversation with you. So before I give you the answer, the real answer, what was the response? Just give me a few, like you've been raising this issue with uh, some of the champions of this bill. You've been warning about this for months, I guess. Uh, and uh, so what is the response you get from them? And furthermore, what can be done to protect? What? How should the law be changed to protect innocent defendants? So take it away.
2: So by the response I've gotten has been a shoulder shrug. That's all I get, a Kanye shrug, like, mm, oh, well, because they they are more focused on it being a historic bill. They are more focused on the good that it will do amongst poor people who are charged with nonviolent offenses, which again, I say is epic. That is That is huge. I definitely back that, but you can't tell me that it hurts anybody to sit down in a room and make the bill more specific, make the law more specific, because what happens is, what happens to us in court When a law is not specific is it leaves everybody to guess and that doesn't advantage that, that does a disservice to the state's attorney, to the defense attorney, to the defendant, to the judge, because we are all left scrambling to use our own interpretation. And so my guess is down the line, there will be challenges again, even though the, the, the pretrial portion Of The safety act has been held upheld as constitutional. There's nothing to say. There's nothing to stop the legislators from making it more specific. So what can be done is it can be said that if a gun is used and no one is injured, then that person is eligible for pre-trial release release with supervision and then etch out what the supervision is. That's that's curfew. That's day reporting. That is an ankle bracelet. That is you list all those things out. I just think the bill needs to be more specific. And I do know that in December of last year, Pritzker did make some amendments, but I still don't see, I guess what I'm looking for. And so the conversation amongst defense attorneys is, oh, and I forgot part part two is those who have been on bond for a year, six months, two years for a serious felony, guess what? The state is coming for you. They have a list of all your names and they're going to start filing those same petitions for all those people who have been on bond, who have been working, haven't had another incident, haven't gotten into any more trouble. They're going to say, well, we know you paid $50,000 and you've been out for the last five months, but guess what? We think you're a danger to the community and you need to go sit down to in Cook County jail. And they're going to start filing new petition, detention petitions to have those people, their bond will be revoked because, and that'll be sent back to whatever family member paid it and they will head on off to Cook County jail just based on the charge. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously the judge is the final decision maker. But I would anticipate, and I I heard this some time ago when we were expecting the bill to be passed in January, that this was the plan of the state's attorney's office. So my guess is that's still going to be their plan and that they're not quite ready yet because it's happening kind of fast. They only have two months to get it together. But once they settle in, they're going to start renewing their objections to some of these people who were released and start Mm -hmm. filing these petitions to have them taken into custody.
1: So in the bizarre world of politics and the way crime plays in the politics, uh, it, it, why then did prosecutors fight so hard against this law if, in fact, it actually gives them even maybe more power to hold people uh, in, in jail awaiting trial? You know, and, go ahead.
2: Optics, because it, it was all BS in the first place that all of them were suing all up and down the state. Because before the bill was even passed, there was a task force that was set up and it had appellate court justices on it. It had police and prosecutors from all up and down the state. And there it was their uh, decisions, their findings from that task force that led to all the language in the bill. So now for them to conveniently say, oh, no, this is a this is a, a threat to public safety. Hey, but your chief of police, because <laughs> all of the Illinois, yeah. it's like their, I forget their commission. It's like the Illinois chief of police commission. I know that Mitchell Davis was the outgoing president and he has a statement saying that they did not oppose the safety act. So for all of them to now turn around and sue when they were part of the task force in the in the first place is just disingenuous. So it's all about optics. It's all about optics. It's about Republican versus Democrat. It's about how can I position myself for the next election cycle? That's what it's about. It has nothing to do with, and that's what the whole thing about calling it the purge was. It's all about optics. It's not about how it's actually going to break down in court because what's going to happen is most people who are charged with any felony involving any weapon, even if it's a strong arm robbery and I twisted your arm and I didn't have a weapon, no weapon involved, but I took money from you and I used some sort of force, those people will likely be held too. Yeah.
1: Uh, so I can just imagine the mind, what's going through the mind of a legislator who's uh, having a conversation with you six months ago. And I'm not going to name any names, but I could, I could think of a few legislators who may have had that conversation with you. And these uh, legislators were championing this bill, which in uh, the court of public opinion was being labeled by MAGA, as The Purge. I'll never forget The Purge. You were the one who told me about The Purge. And, and I looked it up, and, the, and I'm like, whoa. You know, they had their little memes about how, like, all the criminals are going to be let out, and everybody would be dangerous. It was all a game. Uh, but the the legislators, they're on the line. They're the ones getting the calls and the emails about The Purge. And they see, like, their their constituency, uh, Joe Rogan, talk about they're going to let everybody out. It's going to be unsafe, and they, he's got tens of millions of listeners. April, I got <laughs> tens of thousands if I'm lucky.
2: On <laughs> a good day,
1: oh Lord, you know what I mean. Like, so that poor state rap is like. Am I going to listen to April? And take make myself even more exposed than I already am. Hell no. So at best, I'll politely smile at her and say, "I will take it under consideration." Uh, Or they'll just right out say to your face, "I don't care."
2: Yeah, I'm I'm not gonna. I've been told I don't care.
1: Yeah. So it's one or the other. Okay. Uh, Can you? Any part of you have any kind of a shred of sympathy? for these state reps or politicians who are in the front lines on this matter?
2: No, because adding specificity helps helps everybody. Sitting down and hashing out the statute a little bit more and giving those of us courtside a little bit more direction helps everybody. It even helps the cops. So no, I don't have any sympathy. I see it as laziness. I see it as you're digging your heels in and you're celebrating. I see it as celebrating too soon. Like you celebrate this huge victory. It's awesome if you are charged with a misdemeanor. It's awesome if you are poor and you're not able to, you're not able to, you know, afford bond, it's great. But if you're charged with any type of serious felony, and I'll I'll take out the word violent, doesn't have to be a violent felony. If you're charged with any type of serious felony, chances are you're going to be imprisoned indefinitely. There is still some sort of a backlog from COVID. So you're going to be sitting for quite a while in the county jail, whatever, whatever county you're in up and down the state. You're going to be sitting for quite a while. And I don't think that it hurts anybody to sit down and just kind of flesh that out and say, hey, these charges right here, you're not eligible for bond. Mm -hmm. And these charges right here, I'm not bond, um, for release. Mm -hmm. And these charges right here, detention is not required, but we might have something else in place to kind of watch out for you.
1: Well, to answer the question that you asked, what about the uh, innocent defendant who has been put in jail? If the lawmakers were honest, the answer they would give would be, well, tough luck. That's collateral damage. Uh, In other words, we can't do everything about them. They shouldn't have even gotten themselves in a position in the first place. I'm not going to be sympathetic in any way. I mean, I'm just telling you how they would, if they were being honest. uh, And um, we will never get elected if we are too much like April prayer. So we're just going to be we're just going to be who we are and the system's going to go on the way it is. That is my view of it. Uh, Your thoughts.
2: I mean, I, I agree with you. I think that probably will be the response, but then what happened to a presumption of innocence? Because if I am locking you up day one and you're sitting indefinitely, and I mean, yes, they have it built into the statute that you can have periodic bond reviews, but generally The standard for bond review is a change in circumstances. So what has changed from three weeks ago when you asked me for bond and I told you no? What has happened in the last 30 days, 90 days, 60 days since you asked me for a bond review or a detention review and I told you no? So technically it's built into the system, but those people aren't going to get out. And then the other question is what about people who there, yes, there's a theory of accountability that if you play a small role in a big crime that you're charged with the big crime. But what if I was just the lookout and you were the shooter? So the shooter and the lookout both got to sit in jail indefinitely just because we're charged with the same thing. I mean, it all kind of, kind of seems kind of silly to me mm-hmm. that nobody sat down and gave this a little bit more thought. Because on the back end, what's going to happen is it's going to clog up the court's. It's going to slow things down, and it's going to confuse us, those of us who are litigators. I, you know, I heard even some defense attorneys talking about. So now, when they go in and they request that their client, who was previously eligible for bond maybe three weeks ago, is now not going to be eligible to be released, they're going to start getting fired on the spot because the defendants are going to blame us. Oh, you're a terrible lawyer. A better lawyer could have gotten me out. <laughs>
1: Yeah. They, they usually blame the lawyer. Uh, by the way, the presumption of innocence. Uh, I just want to point this out. And every time April comes on the show, I point this out. The presumption of innocence is something it gets uh, articulated and discarded by the same people case to case. So the MAGA crowd that has absolutely no sympathy for someone who's locked away uh, in uh, county jail because he or she can't pay, pay bail, they have no sympathy but word for them, are one the ones screaming loudest about presumption of innocence about the January 6th insurgents. I've heard Marjorie Taylor Greene, congresswoman from Georgia, who's out of her mind half the time, Talk about the presumption of innocence. (laughs) All of a sudden, she is expressing her inner April prayer, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene. Uh, Donald Trump talks about it all the time, about himself. So it like varies, you know what I mean? Whatever your position is. And by the way, I assume, I'll go this, I don't want, we shouldn't, I shouldn't say this because we'll probably go down a path. The the accusations of uh, sexual abuse uh, at the police station, I need more before I join a, a crowd of people that says string them up, I need to, you, I'm sorry, people. I, I need more. I'm not just going to join a lynch mob because there's some undefined, vague accusation that the papers print. We don't even know like anything about it, April. I mean, like just imagine if it was your client or something, you know? So I'm like, I'm not joining that. Cause I like April believe in the concept of a presumption of innocence. And uh, so, Mag, I would just say, you know, you can't have it two ways. You can't say Donnie gets a presumption of innocence, even though they caught him with the classified material in his uh, mansion. But Billy Bob, that we made up, doesn't. So that's my take on that, April. Well, it's,
2: it's always, I always say this about the criminal justice system. Nobody cares about it until they're affected. And so it's the same with the presumption of innocence. So I, I, I actually would join the lynch mob to string them up when it comes <laughs> to the the migrants in the police station because the whole thing was a bad idea, and you left vulnerable people in an awful position. So I, I probably would set aside the presumption of innocence because I hold police to a higher standard, and it's an abuse of authority if they in fact did it. But I people use it when it's convenient for them nobody cares about the presumption of innocence until their kid gets arrested he's caught red-handed oh but that's my baby and you have to prove he did it so it's, uh, it's not just the MAGA folks this is everybody nobody cares about the criminal justice system until it comes knocking at their door fair
1: enough uh and uh all right, we'll close with one last uh April prayer story I saw in the paper today, and when I saw it, I was like, "Oh my God, I can't believe April's come on the show uh, this is... so the first time I met april we, in in old days we had a studio. she was sitting in the studio with me showing me her card her, her 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 it was she's a criminal defense lawyer, and it I'm doing this from memory uh April prayer, shut up, lawyer up I'm like. <laughs> I put her phone number in my phone if I ever get in trouble. That's that first phone number I'm calling, April. Uh, And so we did a whole show. I urge everybody, I may redrop it. It's a very popular show. It was the first time. And she explained, like, don't talk. Don't ever talk. Rule number one, don't talk. And by the way, Donnie Trump is doing it. He's following April's. Uh, advice not paying her as his lawyer, probably not even paying his own lawyers but uh, <laughs> those dummies took him anyway uh, uh, I think the second advice uh, April gave me is if you're a criminal defense lawyer make sure you get paid up front anyway but uh, <laughs> uh, so uh, all joking aside I was thinking of you April because there was a story and shout out to WBEZ I can't remember the reporter's name but they they got a hold they sued a FOIA uh case they got a hold of the uh the transcript of police interrogating a fifteen year old in waukegan and, and man I'll tell you what it's straight out of kafka it's just like w- what they did to get the, the kid to admit to something that he didn't do. He was like when the crime went down, he was playing basketball he was his teammates backed him up on it uh and it was just an eye opening read. You know, and uh, just made me want to stay in my house even more than I do. Like, I'm not going outside. It's scary out there. Uh, I know you know the case. I don't know if you've read, had an opportunity to read the transcript, but uh, just take it away. One, uh, you want an April riff about uh, when you're arrested and you're dealing with police officers. Go ahead.
2: Yeah, so just so people have a little bit more context about this kid, it's interesting you brought up that case because every time I speak to teens, I literally show them the news clip because when they hear about false arrest, they think it's something that happened in the 80s. They think it's something that happened to the Central Park Five only and that they could never be affected. And so when they see a little black boy who looks like them, who's the same age as them, who's dressed like them, whose hair is like theirs, who this happened to less than a year ago, they sit up on the edge of their seat. So this 15 year old kid in Waukegan was accused of shooting a dollar store employee in the face. He was charged with attempt murder. The police came to the school, snatched him out of the classroom, took him to the police station. No one called his mother. No one from the school called his mother. No one from the police station called his mother. He was in police custody for two days before she knew where he was. And then, um, During the course of his time with the police, that interrogation, he says on camera that police bribed me with McDonald's. So what does that mean? It means that they had him in a room, likely handcuffed to the wall. They turned the AC up as high as it'll go because cold makes people uncomfortable. They left him there indefinitely, didn't let him pee, didn't let him drink water, didn't bring him any food, and then came in and peppered him with the same questions over and over and over again. I know you did it, I know it was you. We see you on camera. The shooter had a mask on because we were in the throes of the pandemic at the time. And they said, that there was this kid. So it wasn't until two days later that his mother was able to bring a picture, a timestamp picture of him playing in this um, basketball game 20 miles away. It was impossible that it was this, this kid who did it. However, he still confessed because that's how false confessions work. Police pepper you with questions. They make you think that, you don't know when your family's coming to get you. You have no help of getting out, hope, hope of getting out of here unless you cooperate. And so my tagline is shut up. Lawyer up, whether you're a 15 year old or a 55 year old, shut up, lawyer up. There's absolutely nothing you can say to police that's gonna benefit you. There's nothing you can say to them that is going to necessarily turn around and let make them um, release you. There's this myth that if you tell the truth, that police will simply let you go. You actually may be facing a 45 year sentence just by so-called telling the truth. We are fortunate enough to live in the only county in the world where if you are in Cook County and you are detained in a police station, you can have an attorney come to the police station for you for free. All you have to do is ask, but obviously police don't advertise this. They're never going to tell you. You're not going to know about it unless you hear this from somebody like me. And so I tell people to call that hotline number. It's 844-817-4448, and an attorney will come day or night, 24 day, 24 hours a a day, Christmas, New Year's Eve. Whenever you get arrested, you need to stop talking, say, I want a lawyer and say nothing more. And then when they hand you the telephone, dial that number.
1: Wow. And uh, that advice you would probably make uh, to a police officer who is arrested and charged with a crime. Uh,
2: I've mean, represented cops. I've represented cops. I've represented sheriffs and they all know the same rules. Shut up. Don't say another word and get me on the phone so that I can be on my way to tell the cops that this person has nothing to say. And what people don't realize is nine times out of 10. In my experience, if somebody calls for an attorney. Not after sitting there 24 hours, two days, 12 hours, because a lot of people want to wait and see if they're going to get charged. But if you call right away, nine times out of ten, you will be released without charges the same day. That's been my personal anecdotal experience.
1: Wow, man, the criminal justice system is no joke. That is for certain. Uh, By the way, have you ever seen. I'm obsessed with this TV show. It's off the air. I'm always late to TV shows. Uh, it's called The Good Fight. Have you ever seen The Good Fight or even heard about it? No. It, it's a, a show about lawyers set here in Chicago. I am a fascinated with it. I think it's they do a great job. Uh, I'm urging people to watch it. I think I'm the only person in the world who even knows about it. <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> Do you know who Delroy Lindo is? You ever heard of that actor? Yes. uh, He's excellent, sensational uh, in the lead. He plays the head of this uh, Chicago law firm, but they get in a lot of issues like this. And then the current issue, uh, the one I'm watching now anyway, one of the lawyers' husband uh, is being investigated by the FBI and the feds for being a participant uh, in the January 6th insurrection. Ah. And so everything is upside down. April. You know what I mean? Suddenly you're looking at... The the civil rights of somebody from my politics, I would despise, but they still have civil rights. Do you follow what I'm yes. saying? Uh, so do I just throw out my principles and beliefs because I dislike MAGA and where MAGA is taking our country? Or do I should be like April and be principled uh, and have the same attitude? I don't know. It's a struggle, April. I'm going to go for a walk and think about it later tonight. Uh, but <laughs> it's a great show, The Good Fight. Uh, April, anything you want to promote before I let you go? Any appearances? Uh, anything. The floor is yours. Go ahead. Oh,
2: that's nice. So I'll be at the Black Women's Expo. I will be talking from main stage. Ayala. Yanla Van Sant is the keynote speaker, and I'm either speaking right before her or after her. And I'll be talking on a totally different topic about this mass tort lawsuit, a federal lawsuit all across the country. Women will be suing and are suing hair care companies for the scientific link between hair relaxers and cancer. And so I am part of the team. I work of counsel for a firm called Wallace Miller, and we're getting the word out about that. And so that will be a huge event with probably 15,000 women in attendance where I get to speak and make them aware because uh, mainstream media is not covering the story. And that's because black women are the victims. And when is that? That is August the 4th and 5th. And I'm not sure which day I'm speaking. Probably the that's Saturday, the 5th.
1: All right. Very good. August the 4th and 5th. Uh, April, thank you very much. Appreciate you coming on the show. Okay.
2: Thank you so much.
1: All right. That's a great April prayer. I also want to thank producer Chris. He does an outstanding job. I know April agrees with me when I say, Hey, producer Chris, give yourself a raise, take it out of
0: petty cash. Peace and love everybody. And remember, you can always download previous Ben Jarofsky shows, get Benny J bonus interviews and so much more all at chicagoreader.com. Follow The Ben Jarofsky Show on Instagram at Benny J Show and like and subscribe to The Ben Jarofsky Show podcast on your favorite streaming and podcasting platforms.